inside the brain of Josh Shaw for the price of admission today, Josh Free. And this doesn't happen very often because, again, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last year and a half, Josh Shaw's hourly wage and rate has gone through the roof. I mean, I think your resume speaks for itself, right? Like, would you would you say you're worth a good, I don't know, 1500 bucks an hour? Yeah, that's that's easy. That's like me just putting my feet on the table. So, I mean, if people really want to work with me, it needs to at least be like five or six times that just for me to even open up the email. How many times can we talk about COVID until COVID's done? Like, I mean, I mean, do you think we can do another like 200 episodes of COVID and we're still in this pandemic at this point? I, it's like, when do we ever get to talk about it being over? Like, it's ne- is it never going to be over? It's is crazy. It- <laughs> like, I'm, I want to surprise my fiance with a trip. And I'm going to say this because I know she doesn't listen to this podcast. So I'm not a surprise ruin. Thanks a lot, honey. I want to take her to New York City. But I'm just like, how do I, how do I judge taking her to New York City if nothing's going to be open? Like, is Rockefeller Center going to have the Christmas tree this year? I don't know. Is the 9-11 Memorial open? I don't know. It probably is. I, I don't know. But, like, I don't want to risk taking a trip and just to be, like, blue-balled on everything I want to see. You know? Yeah. That's, so. that's especially as being an entrepreneur, like, you are giving up hours that you know you're going to utilize in one way or another. So then when you do, you want to make sure that you can kind of fulfill what you want to do when you're there. But the COVID just seems like sucks all the fun out of everything. Yeah, because obviously I want to make this a business trip. So I can write it off. Obviously, Doug. See, Josh knows what I'm talking about. All right. Opportunities post-COVID is the topic of conversation today. Um, And I think as we – I don't know. I think some people think we're coming out of this thing. And I have no idea if that's true or false. But, I mean, I think now is like people are starting to make decisions on what they want to do with the future of their brand, their products, whatever. Uh, And and I'll argue that I don't think the opportunities are different post-COVID as they were during COVID. And what I mean by that is like, I think opportunities existed during COVID too. Just a lot of people failed to see them or just were too scared to take advantage of them. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what, I mean, as you, you starting to see now it's brands are starting to, in our space, starting to make a little bit of noise with different things now that, that were predominantly quiet through the entire pandemic. Like uh, I know him cause he's my friend of mine, Greg Helton, muscle sport. They didn't do a lot during the pandemic and now they've just come out with like four different flavors of protein powder. And like, so now they're kind of getting back to what they were, but I want to say for me, I think the biggest opportunity lies in how they reach their consumer in the channels. And I think that if you've won, been one to be focused on brick and mortar, the biggest opportunity for you is look at your D to C and make sure that that is strong moving forward. Because if it was weak before the pandemic, you probably had a hard time. You probably had a really, really hard time staying afloat during the pandemic. So um, I, you, know, you can put money into innovation, into new product launches, but if your D2C platform is garbage, put your money there and fix it because this could happen at any time, and, and, and we just don't know when. Yeah, I think that's a, a major area that, you know, if be it we're in the midstream or on the end of this or, or whatever we kind of call this phase of COVID, like if you are looking at, you know, the end of, of 2020 and you haven't, you know, increased your D to C potential and just investment and made sure you gave a run at it, regardless if you're swinging, swinging and missing, at least you're trying. Yeah. If you have not done any of that, just shut, shut your doors. You might as well just close shop because, because I don't know what you've been doing. I don't, you know, if that's so obvious that it just seems like you're just need to stop being a business owner. I, I don't, I don't even know how to say that in the right way to make that, you know, feel good to people. But if anybody's listened to it and you are um, one of those people, you better start fast. If not, you have no you choice. Are, yeah. yeah, you have no choice at this point. And I think, 
you know, we talk about the idea of post-COVID. I think obviously we're not post anything, but I think with us having now, what are we in, six months worth of this, is that though there is still uncertainty, still volatility, you know, things could go sideways or, or change. Um, I think we have at least enough of information to, to make decisions and then feel a little bit more confident with some of the business moves you're making. So that's why you're starting to see some of these brands that maybe were a little bit hesitant, a little bit dormant. Maybe they didn't have a, a lot of firepower or a lot of like reserves in the bank to get risky. Now they're like, okay, you know, we saw six months of this. We know how consumers are starting to act. They're adapting, they're making their changes, be it through activity-based workouts or whatever. Let's now push some chips towards the middle and let's see if we can win some of this um, opportunity. I think it's also interesting too, is, and we talked about this in an episode before, is like, okay, post-COVID, now we're going to have these shows come back again too, like the Olympia, like the Arnold, and it's like, now what do you do as a brand? Like, is it, is it something you want to consider? Now, consumers haven't had a chance to engage with a brand I guess like this in a year now. So it is, you know, the Olympia is in December. I, I don't even know if they're going to have an expo at this point. And if they do, you probably can't sample things, but I'm saying like, so let's go to March and the Arnold, like, is it something that you would do? And I, I don't know. I think, I think the Arnold left a lot of bad taste. And I think people's mouths this year with how the refund policy went. But besides that, it's like during COVID, you didn't have the opportunity to engage with the consumer on that face-to-face -face level. You had to adapt and do social and had to do digital and just different things of that nature. It's like now you do these shows. I think that's another thing that, that brands have to look at moving forward. But it is, it's interesting because I also think what I see more and more of too, Josh, is, is now people are kind of trying to get back in the, or trying to get into more functional type of things, whether it's beverage or bars, uh, snackability. Um, because like that didn't necessarily take a massive hit during COVID. Like people, I mean, granted, if your protein bars were only sold at nutrition shops and they were deemed unessential for whatever reason, then okay, maybe it suffered. But you know, case in point, look at like our buddy Mark, the Outright Bar. I mean, he launched several flavors during COVID, still doing very well. You see Ghost launch Ghost Energy. Um, you see Core Nutritionals launching Core Balls coming out. You have. Mark also launching an energy drink apparently through MTS, I think is what I just saw. So I think people are trying to, I think a good opportunity in our space is how can you leverage what you've currently done in sports nutrition and maybe expand into a different category that still makes sense. So functional, I think is a good category that continues to grow, but does your brand, I guess at that point have enough respect, have enough pull, whatever it might be to make it in that space. Um, you know, luckily for Mark, Outright's been around for two years now, so it had some had some momentum. He's killing it with that that brand. Ghost obviously has a ton of momentum on Ghost. Beverage made sense. A great partnership with Anheuser Busch, um, or, or you know the Bev Department Distribution. Um, Core will be interesting because I know they've done like some functional stuff on the America side with like beef jerky. I don't know how the, the balls are going to do because I I don't see that as an FDM product, but it's it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think more brands might start or should maybe start to think about like how can we just like expand beyond the niche of sports nutrition or there something else that we can do to expand our portfolio yeah i think those extensions in terms of food form or, or beverage it opens up more total addressable market mm -hmm. so you have the opportunity to become a bigger company even if you are getting just a small fraction of that and i think anybody that feels confident with their brand or products um, should look at some of those options um you know regardless of what that big aspiration is and are you going to meet it? That's a different kind of thing. But I think the strategy makes sense to look at food form and beverage form as long as it, you know, 
your business is set up for that and you can you know, look at the channels and all the other things that you need to kind of set up in your business. There is kind of an interesting thing to think about between beverage and um, food form is that with protein bars and protein drinks, and I'll just use that as an example, is that protein drinks, RTDs, are not as attached to mobility. So people moving around, going on the go, that type of thing, even though it's considered an on the go product, a lot of those are consumed actually at home right. where protein bars are actually more attached to mobility and you need them. They're usually thought of as more like a portable snack where people put them into their backpack or whatever that is, because you don't also need to cool it. So it's one of those things where exactly. I think um, there's that element of there. So if somebody's thinking about, okay, maybe there's going to be another shutdown or, you know, you have to kind of throw those scenarios out there. You need to kind of consider, okay, are we set up for this? If they do, you know, shut down part of cities or the gyms or the schools or work or whatever, am I going to have the best opportunity with a functional snack? Um, and if you think, yeah, I still do, then it's a matter of then changing the way you message and market that product. So thinking about it in a way of like, okay, it's different now from a on the go. Now it's at home snacking. How do you put that convenient snack into your busy now work from home schedule. How do you, you know, you have to kind of change up your, your communication strategy because um, people are now consuming these products differently. And if you aren't necessarily changing the way you're thinking about it, you're just going to go after towards the old way of thinking. I think you're going to be stuck with a bunch of like resistance because there's going to be some things that just from a macro level, you can't overcome. You can't overcome that people don't want to leave their home. Yeah. It's just I mean what it is what it is. I don't think that should be shocking to anybody listening or watching this podcast. Think about when you go to a C store, a convenience store, and you walk in and you go to the cooler. You're probably not grabbing muscle milk at a gas station. You're going to grab Diet Pepsi or whatever it is that you're drinking or a Monster or if you're Josh, it's probably six cans of Bang, and you're going to enjoy them because that's what you want. Um, but, like, then you go to, like, Grandma and Grandpa's house, and there's a case of Premier Protein in the fridge or whatever because they're trying to get their protein or even – Maybe you're in a workout officiato that works at home. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, Costco sells a shit ton of Premier Protein, the RTDs, in the, in the bulk cases. Um, but snackability, for instance, like the on-the-go snacks, even and the nice thing about them is, like, yes, they can be consumed at home. And then when I was at Mills, that was a huge area of growth, of opportunity that, that companies were like, how can we create the next big cool snackability, like snackable thing? Like, what different forms can we do? Does it have to be a bar? Can it be a ball? Can it be a cluster? Like that's – I think we can start thinking that way in sports nutrition too. It's like, okay, if you don't want to just be um, caps and, and powders and you want to get into the functional space, why does everybody want to copy the outright bar? You know, you look at other brands now coming out with like an, a, a bar. It's very – it's so Josh could be the first to tell you like the majority of bars in this business are made at like one location. It's Bakery Bar and makes like pretty much all of them like MRE, um, Robert Irvine. I mean just some of the big ones are all made there. But they're they're the form of them are very similar. Like it's either it's either quest form, it's outright form, or it's like the combat crunch slash MRE form, right? Like those are kind of like your three forms. But said, who's to say you have to do a bar? Like I think what Core's doing in terms of the core balls is I, I told Doug this. I said I think it's smart that you're trying to do something different. Five balls, twenty grams of protein. It's just it's different. It's you can reseal it, or you can. You don't have to eat the whole thing at once, like a bar. You have to eat the entire thing at once, or, or typically you're going to. Um, you know, with like if you have if you have five things in a pouch, you can eat two and move on. Um, you know, as a as the brand, you want them to eat all five, obviously, but you want to make it attractive to the consumer. So I think I urge our space if you want to go to the functional side of things, especially when snacks, like think in different forms. Like walk down the aisle of the popular snack section in in a, in a major grocery store. And look at some of the chassis that they're using in terms of like, okay, what uh, Nature Valley, for instance, huge brand, General Mills. I mean, they make 
every shape and size, biscuits, bars, clusters, like whatever. Like what could work in our space and do something different and make it fun and make it exciting and make it good, obviously. And I think you could start expanding your brand into food, which then can get you in the FDM and you can start becoming just a much larger, more popular brand. Yeah, to take this one step further, something that I started talking about late last year was this idea of like convenience 2.0 and, and thinking about the idea of the, the grocery store a little bit differently. And you're seeing um, now a lot of like success with like a Birch Benders or even like a Kodiak Cakes or whatever, mm -hmm. where they're looking at the frozen section. They're looking at the yeah. you know center aisle, more baking sections. They're looking at this and saying, how do we make this more functional? How do we make this more you know, nutraceutical like in a way, you know, if you want to kind of consider sports nutrition and they are getting, you know, two, three, four, 500% year over year growth because they're attacking conventional, um, you know, incumbent product brands where yeah, Aunt Jemima or, or whoever is selling more pancake mix than these people, but they're not selling as much as they used to. And there's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that are available to you that you can take a little bit of, and there's not a thousand competitors. There's maybe a dozen that also do like, you know, keto pancake mix or muffin mix or whatever it is. So I think anybody should spend you know time at a grocery store, walk through the aisle and say, where on the shelf does it look like there's hasn't been a lot of like innovation, right? You know, and also where people are excited to be at, you know, there's, you see it all the time with like sauces or you're seeing, oh, God, yeah. um, you know, different things like that. You see people looking at it and going, why is there no sugar-free this? Why is there no natural this? Why is there no, like, and that's how you have to kind of approach business and sports nutrition, I think today. And, and that's going to confuse people because they're like, well, this isn't sports nutrition. I think we talked about this a ton of different times. Like sports nutrition is now active nutrition. Active nutrition is more like all-encompassing lifestyle. So yes. like, what does, the, the caps, powders, and pills are only 5% of the, the equation. What's the other 95? A lot of it's diet. So like, how can you help somebody within that diet uh, framework? Is, is it foods? Is it beverages? Is it Whatever it is, can you do that? And if you can address that, you open yourself up to a ton of opportunity and just not looking at the same like protein bars. Everybody's doing protein bars. That's easy. There's only going to be so many winners. Like you need to look for some, you know, I don't want to say blue ocean, but like something that's a little bit less um, competitive where you can get some more food. Yeah, I think it's you brought up a brand that, I, that Kodiak, for instance, right? Like Kodiak started out with powdered mix. They're on Shark Tank, I believe. Um, like I have a box in my cupboard back there. I also have a box of their frozen waffles in my freezer for my daughter. Now, if you ever walk down the freezer section of a grocery store, the space is limited. It really is. Uh, and there's not a lot of brands that play like compared to, you know, shelf stable stuff. But Kodiak went from maybe having one box placement to an entire cooler full of things right next to Ego. And Ego went from three to two. I mean, that's how quickly it adapted. And that's been like in the last year. Another great example of that is uh, I believe it's the number one selling pint of ice cream now is Halo Top. I believe it's like number one consumed, isn't it? It's, 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 I, think, I think it was for a while and then it, it moved back now that there was a bunch of more competition for that type of ice cream. Right. But I mean they, they made a – like they looked at ice cream and said, okay, how like how do we make something different? Well, let's just do something that, that's 230 calories versus my – my thing of Ben and Jerry's are anywhere from a thousand to two thousand calories a pint, right? So uh, they were at, and you you probably even seen them or met with them. Maybe if you went to you went to like uh, Expo West, and this was probably five six years ago. Like they were the small little booth that nobody really heard of. Next year, boom, everywhere because they did something different. I don't understand why we can't do that. And and, and I think you make another another great point. Every month, when we were at when I was at Mills, we'd go to a Whole Foods or a, a large grocery store and we'd walk the aisles, even aisles that were not, that we didn't play in. We played in cereal, we played in bars, and we played in frozen.
but we walked and we looked at pizzas. We looked at pastas. We looked at all these different things and, and see, is there an idea or something that we could say, okay, the pasta section is doing this. They're doing, you know, a different way of X. Can we do that in our space? Well, I don't, I don't think we do that enough. I don't think there's a lot of research done, market research done by our, 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 I think the market research done by sports nutrition in large is what's everybody else doing in pre-workout and what's a new ingredient we could use or what's, what they're doing five grams of citrulline. Let's do six. Let's be innovative and do six. No, just do something different. Like it doesn't have to be a different formula of a pre-workout. It could be pre-workout nutrition in a different way. It could be like Josh said, like it's, it's 95% of being healthy is diet. It's not the sports nutrition supplements that we take. So um, not to say that you have to become a food company, like you don't have to be a food company, but like, what are you good at? What are, what are you selling as a brand? Are you selling a healthier lifestyle? If so, then then look at other things that can attribute to that. And I think that's a huge opportunity post COVID. It's just like, yeah, pills and powders are great. And yes, you can get rich. You can be a hundred million dollar company. Um, but even like Redcon, like I would, I bet Aaron would say like the Emory bar attributes to X of our portfolio. I mean, they're in C stores. They got good distribution on that. Now they're going to have the uh, MRE RTD, which comes out, I think, in like two weeks or pretty soon. So, I mean, it's he, – he thinks that way. Obviously, Ghost thinks that way, and, and brands with protein bars are thinking that way. But it does, it does not necessarily just have to be beverage and protein bars. Like, Quest did a fucking pizza, you know? And it, and it actually yeah. does well. I think it tastes like shit, but it does well. So, I mean, like, just start thinking differently. Yeah, it's, it's, every category can be approached that way. I mean – if we run down all of the categories in which, you know, are the high flyers during COVID, if you think about this in like weight management perspective, do you want to just come out with a magic pill? No. Like, is there ways like food, is there things that you can add certain ingredients into that maybe helps a little bit here and there? Is there, a, is there an approach just from like content that you can help somebody through? It doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, a product. It has to be more of like a lifestyle system. Right. And I think you think about this even with like immunity type products. Does somebody want to take a bunch of like elderberry gummies or things like that? Probably not. Do they want to have maybe some of these ingredients in a, you know, a functional yogurt or, you know, something like that? Much more easy for somebody to take those things than to pop a bunch of pills all day long. That's not what most people want to do today. Right. You think about even with like, you know, plant-based and, and the, um, you know, things are happening with the meat uh, industry with like them struggling with processing and how people are trying now a lot of the plant-based stuff like that in the psyche of a consumer starts to think, well, this was pretty good. What else can I get that's plant-based? Cool. That opens up a bunch of opportunity for you then to think about, you know, even in the sense of like a protein bar. bar. Yeah. Why do animal-based or milk-based? Why not do plant-based? Why not do something like that? Or if you're coming out with an amino powder that's for coffee creamer, why is it not plant-based? Why is it not, you know, functional mushrooms or thing? You know, you have to think. I Josh, think, this is a sports nutrition show. This isn't a drug show, man. Yeah. I, mean, I get we were talking about Ozark <laughs> before we got here, but we don't have to start talking about shrooms, bro. Gee. <laughs> Dude. Hey, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> but I think all these things that are emerging opportunities, they have to be addressed in the right way. I think just us calling these things out and you approaching it in the same way that everybody else is approaching it. Like, this is how I kind of see uh, there's going to be two ways that people are going to consume this. There's going to be like the legacy old school thinkers that are going to go, oh, cool. I'm going to come out with a powder. I'm going to come out with a pill. I'm going to come out with whatever. Cool. Let's, that's how I'm going to enter these cool categories. Mm -hmm. Then there's going to be the other ones that are thinking a little bit more you know, innovative and going, okay, I love this kind of concept, but I'm going to flip this and, and make it a you know, functional 
food or a beverage or you know some type of ecosystem that plays in with some of my other existing products to make a hero skew like my uh, you know MRE protein or whatever. Like there's these things that they can think about that are going to be much better uh, long-term approach to uh, taking these trends than just like cool, let's do another cap powder pill. Yeah, I mean, it's. I just think of some of the brands that I've seen some decent growth on or some cool products that I've seen come out but just haven't been marketed well that have done kind of this. Like uh, Rice and Grinds, the cream of rice, for instance. Like um, I think he's done a good job. Uh, I think you know it's in a bag. A lot of people will go to the grocery store and buy cream of rice or cream of wheat, whatever it might be. Like this is a much better product. It's organic and it's flavored. Like There was a different take on a, on a thing, and, and he's still working on growing that thing. Another thing, um, you know, I, I think the protein cereals are super interesting, but they just haven't been marketed correctly. Like – I, uh, I also remember it being in a meeting at Mills. They were going to come out with a high-protein cereal that included whey-protein isolate. And I was like, what the fuck space am I in right now? Like, this is, this is kind yeah. of my world. It was going to be 7 bucks a box. You know what I mean, that's, you, don't, you walk down the cereal aisle, and you're paying at most three ninety nine a box, and that's probably a family size. Like, I mean, you don't – so 7 bucks a box is a lot to ask. So they were very timid on doing it. They were hesitant. Um, but, I mean, there are some decent protein cereals that I've tried. It's like, okay – Maybe sell this idea. Sell your formula to to I mean, that's an opportunity. It's not like you have to come out with it, but if you've come up with something and you're just like, you know what, I don't have the capital or the money to make this into mass production. Can I just take this and sell it to General Mills? Can I sell this to Post? Can I sell it um, to something? I mean, that's that's another opportunity. But I think I think a lot of people in the space have probably thought of cool ideas and they're just like, well, I don't have the means to do that, or it's not really on brand for me to do this, because it's the cool thing to do is like I got to release a game-changing pre-workout. There's no such thing as a game-changing pre-workout anymore. It just doesn't exist. If you want to do a game-changer, like Josh just said, do like an elderberry-infused yogurt. Actually, don't do yogurt. It's extremely hard and expensive. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's a, but like something like that. Do, if you really want to use the word game-changing, then do something fucking game-changing. Don't do the same thing. And, and I hear my friends say it, too. It's like, you, you know, wait till you see my formula. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, that's the space that you're, you've played in, you're playing in. But, like... It'd be cool to see you do something just a little bit different that that hits people and be like, oh, I'm shocked that that brand did that. Now I'm willing to try it, and maybe next thing you know, it, it lights a fire and it goes crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's been years probably since a traditional sports nutrition product has made me even notice it, and that has you know maybe flavors or you know things like that, but from a formula just. You know, me trying something and going, wow, this is leaps and bounds better than anything else out there doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. I think you can agree. I mean, right. you you try so many of them, and I, I think there's such a close substitution. Regardless of what crazy marketing and stuff that you want to do, There's it's just not the case. There's not those differentiations from uh, one product to another. They're very close substitutes. Yeah. But I think that's much different when you have things that are, you know, food or beverage. I mean, they might be formula-wise a little bit the same, but I think people are, are looking at uh, purchase criteria different, flavors usually forward or, or something like that, where then that becomes a much more stronger moat if you have something that tastes like amazing or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not the same in sports nutrition. Like if you have a great tasting protein powder, there's, I can, I can give you a 50 other ones that are just oh, as yeah, great. Easily. Like, you know what I mean? It's hard for you to like draw a line in the sand and say, this is my moat. Nobody's ever going to compete against it. It used to be like Synthesis was the best tasting and everything else was not, but the formula wasn't as good. Now it's like everything tastes like Synthesis, but it doesn't have this as much better macros. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, if I don't want to like 
beat this drum on saying like you have to do functional food, you have to do different category expansion. Like, um, you know, I, I started off the show by saying look at your DTC model, and, and Josh said like you, you have to, right? Um, I I don't. What do you think about international at this point? Because I, you know, post COVID, did internet like, right? I, I COVID, I know presented a challenge for some things uh, when it came to international. Um, I, I, you would know more than I do about export import and how that was impacted, but I, I don't know if brands should look at international distribution any differently post COVID or if, if that re- largely remained unchanged. It's one of those things where if you're an upstart brand and you don't have like, you know, that top tier pool, you know, you're not Redcon, you're not ghost, like where people are literally asking for you. I think it's a waste of, of your time to be looking at those things because a lot of what comes down to the things that sell in an international market is because of them being like a legacy brand that has like this like trust level of like, oh, an American quality brand and it's priced probably pretty effective. It, the right. products are um, not watered down because they're actually like the exact international requirements. You know, you don't have anything. The consumers that are buying those things are not like the the hip people that are on social media looking for the coolest thing. Um, hip people. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, so then you um, you have a lot of things going against you in terms of like in-country brands. Those brands obviously know how to talk the talk, walk the walk a lot better than you. They have a cost structure that's better than you because they don't have to deal with fees and duties and and the shipping costs and all that. There's a lot of things where you I don't against, think anybody understands that either. It's no, and, and also like, you know, the, 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 uh, Currency has been kind of screwed up where the U.S. dollar was super strong against all the currencies. So like you were struggling against that where like some currencies, 20, 30 percent, you were um, hurting them. So it was one of those things where like as a brand, if you didn't have 60 plus percent margin, you couldn't even offer anything to anybody in a competitive price to actually keep them going unless you were so wanted in the market that somebody was like going into a store and going, I want this. Yeah. That's the only thing that was really surviving. Other than that, like you were just turning your wheels. You were just spinning your wheels. And I think at this point, you could put that time, effort, you know, investment into direct to consumer, put it into Amazon, put it into something that's gonna turn you some dollars right now, not into like just you know beating your head against the wall. I from a personal experience, like we were wanted in Canada and I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time on this. I got like 20 minutes into it. I realized like this is way too much fucking trouble than it's worth in terms of a payoff. I'd rather take this time and effort and like you mentioned money and put it in the digital or Amazon. Um, at some point when it's right, then I'll expand internationally. But it's just like, you know, I, I like the population of Canada is like less than the, less than the population of Texas or something like that I, yeah. is what I heard. So it's like, really, you don't waste your time on that. But no offense, Canada. It's just, you know, you're just not a lot of people up there. It's too fucking cold. I get it. <laughs> it's like 40 degrees here in Minnesota. So I get it. Like, I don't want to go any further north than I have to. Um, <clears throat> do you think the brands that were active, relevant during COVID are going to be the ones that are going to be most successful post-COVID? Or do you think some brands who were, were dormant have an opportunity to be super successful post-COVID? I don't think it is you know, something that's mutually exclusive instead of like, if you didn't do anything, you weren't going to be successful. But I think there is a thing called momentum. And I think if you don't have momentum, I think it's, it takes a little bit more time for you to get started back up. I think that depending on where you're at in the market, like in the consumer's mind, like, are you something that they have a strong, like emotional brand connection with those brands, regardless if they, they launched a bunch of products or they just kept a bunch of like social media going, those ones are going to be fine. Um, as long as they've, you know, continued that relationship going the, uh, the opposite side, like if you are a low cost, um, 
one that is also maybe positioned pretty well, maybe digitally or um, in a mass retail setting or something like that from like a channel perspective, those are gonna do extremely well again, just because I think they've built up momentum and they've gotten a lot of people to switch over and trial them and, and all that. The ones that are going to struggle is like all that stuff in the middle. Like if you're not on one of those ends of the spectrum, like what do you do? How do you get any momentum going again? You're going to start to like either try a bunch of incremental things and it's just not going to be uh, all that fruitful or you're going to swing for the fences and just, hey, let's try it. And if we fail, that's going to be the last time you ever hear of us. I, you know, I think you have to really take that as a... Um, as a position right now, because I think you can't really um, just kind of keep waiting in the water because I think you made, you made the mention around the you know, uh, Arnold, like, is it going to happen? And is the Olympia going to happen? Anything that going to happen? I think right now, until there's a um, vaccine, which that's a whole different argument, but I think until that's there, I don't think people in groups want to be in a groups. I just mm -hmm. don't think that's the majority of the people, even if it's 50 51% of people won't do it. I think there's a lot of people that are, they could care less, but I think there's still more than 50% that would like to see a vaccine or something that tells you if this person has something or not. Yeah. And you, ha you have some understanding that you're not gonna catch something being in a large group. Yeah. That's gonna be the, the big determining factor. They might hold it and the state might allow it, but that doesn't mean that people are gonna show up and it's gonna be worth your investment to be there as a brand. If I was a brand, I wouldn't be staying far away from any of that. I don't think you get any close to any ROI anyway. And I, and I think that that's just the unfortunate thing right now about physical events or large gatherings. I think it's just, you know, you rather spend your money and resources in, in ways that you can feel better about it, that you're going to get a return. I agree. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, if anything, like we talk about doing things differently, you just reported on this a little bit ago, um, but like vital proteins, right? Like they took a different approach to protein and they just got purchased by Unilever for how much? Um, I can't a lot remember. Of, a I, lot I, of fucking money. A lot of money. More money than we have, for sure, right? Like, um, but it's just like doing things. I mean, so you can stay within the realm of sports nutrition, but maybe do something different. I mean, like, for instance, Redcon with MRE. Whether you like the product or not, it was different. It was a different take on protein. It is, I like, their number one. It's one of their number one sellers. Like, that entire MRE line is fucking killing it for them. So they stayed really in sports nutrition and just did something different. So not that we're telling you like, hey, run out and create an ice cream because we could talk about Blackstone again, Josh, to bring that up. So you'd love to talk about that. We should bring it up every episode, by the way. Like a little joke, Blackstone and Blackstone ice cream, Jesus Christ. Uh, but like just, you know what? Like just because everybody else has been doing the same fucking protein powder and pre-workout for the last 15 years, be smarter, be better, be wiser. And then you have all these tools at your, at your uh, dispense in terms of digital that you can – market it and tell that story um, to get people to trial it. And uh, I think it, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity now to finally be different, like have some fucking balls and courage and do something different. Yeah, I think there's, if there's ever a time to try something, um, I think this is the point because I think just sitting back and not trying anything, we've talked about this so many different times, is you're just seeing a shorter and shorter runway. You have to be seeing the writing on the wall. There has to be something in your mind that's saying, I don't know if this is for me anymore. Like, I don't know if this is going to be the right way to do this. I need to take either one or two routes. I need to take a big swing or I need to get the heck out of here and let somebody else do it. Right. You know, sell your business for whatever and get and let somebody else try it out. I don't know. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of those periods where, um, you know, big winners and losers are, are definitely going to be apparent. It might not be tomorrow and it might not be by the end of the year, but I think we're going to look back and we're going to say, 
this was a definitive reason why, you know, there was a huge erosion of, of just people not making it because they just, um, they just didn't have what it took to, to, to maneuver, you know, during this time. 100% right. Um, we'll leave it there. If you guys like this episode, hit that subscribe button. We are on iTunes, Spotify, watch via YouTube, uh, write us a review. If you like that comment, uh, I'd like to uh, like to hear you know what you, what you all think is some opportunities post COVID because I think you know there's probably a lot we didn't talk about we really sort of focused on on doing some things differently I guess was the theme of this episode uh, you can follow Josh on his social channels as well at Jay Shaw Consulting we are on all the major platforms Facebook Instagram uh, we're on Twitter too right we just don't really use it we are do yeah. people still use Twitter is that a thing yet they do it's caught fire I think. Uh... It's one of those areas where you got to put, you got to invest the time in it. You know, it's one of those areas where if you can, if you can get the attention, you're good. If not, man, it's a, it's a cesspool. Are you more active on Twitter or TikTok, Josh? I feel like you're, you're like one of those people that can hang with high school kids in a legal I I way. Could. I need, I, I need to get the TikTok game going. I mean, I guess right now I'm sitting on the sidelines waiting to see if it's going to be around for a while. But if it is, maybe you and I need to think about, you know, firing up a uh, two guys, one shaker cup TikTok. I mean, we should get Gary Vee since he's such a believer and be like, how do we do this, man? How, what kind of cool fucking dance can two guys, one shaker cup do simultaneously and put on TikTok and be popular? We'll see. Yeah. 